Morning, church. How are we? Good? In full summer mode yet? Man, this is beautiful. I love summer in Wisconsin. Um, We are starting a new series called Need to Know. And throughout this series, we're partnering with the other churches that we, uh, Cedarbrook, kind of our partner churches, Cedarbrook and Midcurrent, Down 94, Menominee and Hudson. And we are partnering with them. And this series, Need to Know, every week we're going to be walking through uh, Hebrew words of the Old Testament. Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Hebrew is a lot different of a language than our language and even Greek, which the New Testament was written in. So every week, we're going to be walking through a specific word and idea uh, through the Old Testament. And my prayer, my hope, is that this gives us a better understanding of Scripture and a better understanding of the character of God. You ready? Matthew chapter 9. Yes, I know. I said we're going to study Hebrew words, but we're going to the New Testament first. Bear with me. Matthew chapter 9. We'll get there. In Matthew chapter 9, we have Jesus beginning his ministry. Jesus is starting to call his disciples to follow him. So he's seeing these guys walking up to him. Say, follow me. Guys say, okay. He becomes part of Jesus' disciples that follow him around and live life with him and are trained by him to move this thing forward after he dies, is resurrected, Holy Spirit comes. It's the disciples' job to spread the gospel throughout the entire world. So in Matthew chapter 9, Verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he says. Now, something you have to remember. Tax collectors at this time were not great people. Like you had the Jewish people, which Jesus was a Jewish guy, a rabbi, walking around. Now, this was common practice for the rabbis to walk around and say, follow me. This is a great honor for them to follow in the steps of a rabbi and learn what the rabbi does. This is a great honor and privilege. And Jesus is walking around. He walks up to a tax collector, a person who is hated by the Jewish people at that time. The tax collector took advantage of the people around. He gave taxes to the government, to Rome, and usually charged the people more tax so that he could make a profit as well. So these people were hated people at the time. They were oppressive. They took advantage of people. They were ruthless. So just get the picture, right? Jesus walks up to this guy. I don't know if we have an equivalent in today's culture of who a tax collector would be. But picture in your mind the person that you like the least. Yeah, we're in church. Be honest. I know you don't like some people. I know some people get under your skin. But picture the person that you like the least. That's who Jesus walks up to and says, hey, follow me. Notice, notice this wasn't a question, right? 
walks up, follow, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. No questions asked. Notice there were no qualifiers before Jesus said, hey, follow me. Jesus didn't go, hey, uh, can we have a conversation? I have some questions for you. Do you believe the right thing? How do you live? Do you give enough? Do you serve enough? Do you have the right theological ideas in your mind about who I am and about who the Jewish people are, who Israel is, who God is? Do you have the right theological ideas all lined up? He didn't do any of that. He simply walked up and goes, hey, you, follow me. I'm picking you for a reason. And I'm not even going to ask. I'm just going to tell you, follow me. Matthew gets up. says, yeah, I'm going to give everything up, and I'm going to follow you. So then, get the scene, right? This is out in the middle of the community. Everybody sees what just happened. Jesus goes to Matthew's house that night for dinner. And they're hanging out. And who's at the party? The people that Matthew know. Who are those people? They're not the good Jewish people. They're not the good religious people. They're not the people that are in the temple because they're the people that aren't welcome in the temple. They're sinners. They're other tax collectors. Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. It was a big party. Many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with him and his disciples. So they're all hanging out, eating dinner together, living life together, having conversations, building relationships. And then what happens? The Pharisees saw us. Now, who's the Pharisees? The Pharisees are religious leaders of the day. Now, they're the people that have everything together. Their lives look great. They're following all the rules about what it means to follow God. If you follow Jesus through the New Testament, they're usually following the rules, but they're not necessarily following the heart of the rule. And so these Pharisees are looking at this dinner party. They know who Jesus is. He's a rabbi. They know rabbis are not supposed to hang out with sinners and tax collectors. It's not okay. Culturally, not okay. There's so many things wrong with that picture. And yet here Jesus is hanging out. Pharisees asked the disciples, uh, this isn't normal, this isn't okay. Why is your teacher hanging out with these people? Why is your teacher hanging out with these people? And they said it with an earshot of Jesus, so Jesus chimes in. I like that they went after the disciples, not actually after Jesus. They were too scared to actually ask the guy, so they asked the people that are following him. Jesus hears it. Jesus says, hey, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. Just just wrap your mind around that statement. It's not the healthy that need me. It's the sick people. It's the people that by your living have learned that they can't be in my presence. 
Those are the people that need me. You think you got figured out. You go to church, you have your devotional life, life is great, it's beautiful, you put up a nice image on Instagram and social medias, you make awesome TikTok videos, all this stuff is awesome. You don't need me, you're healthy, you got it all figured out. Jesus says, no, it's the sick that need me. See, in this scenario... Jesus is communicating this powerful thing. You don't need to get yourself cleaned up before you come and eat with me at the table. But as you come and eat with me at the table, your life will be transformed by Jesus. Tax collectors, sinners. They don't have to get their life turned around before they can be in relationship with Jesus. They don't have to believe the right things. They don't have to say the right things. They don't have to be living the right things. But at, when they're at the table, you can look at Matthew's life. At the table, his life is transformed by hanging out with Jesus. We all are transformed and need to be transformed as we hang out with Jesus. We are all falling short. We all desperately need Jesus. So then Jesus says something. He's talking to the Pharisees. Healthy people don't need a doctor. The sick people do. That's why I'm here. Now go and learn What this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. He says, go learn what this means. You are the ones who are the leaders of the religious institutions in this place. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy. Not sacrifice. And you think back to all the New Testament stories, all the prophets saying you are doing the right things. You're you're going to church. You're, You're doing these sacrifices, but you're not treating people like they're sons and daughters of Jesus. That is an issue. You're following the rules, but you're missing the heart. Now, uh, at the bottom of your Bible, maybe it's in the corner thing, what does it say about that verse? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Maybe there's like a little italic at the end of that. Do you see it? What does it say? Should be either in the center column or at the bottom of the page is like a footnote. Nobody knows. <laughs> Hosea 6 6. So as you're reading scripture, as you're walking through the Bible, there will be those little marks 
at the end of sentences and look down to the bottom of the page or in the center column, and there will be verses that are, this verse is referencing this verse. So what do we have to do to get a full picture of what Jesus is talking about? Because you and I hear what when we read the word mercy? Well, Jesus must be talking about mercy, right? Someone who has the authority and position to punish or harm somebody, but they're relieving that punish or harm. Uh, They're forgiving that person. They're showing them mercy, why it's important to go back and go, oh, he's referencing, quoting directly Hosea 6.6. I wonder what Hosea 6.6 says. Hosea 6.6, we'll put it up on the screen. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. An acknowledgement of God rather than burnt Offerings. This is the prophet Hosea going to the people of God saying, look, you're caught up in all the sacrifices. You think you're doing the right thing. You're going to church. You're doing the devotionals. You're in a small group. You're doing all the things. But you're treating people poorly. You're missing the point. Yeah, you got the sacrifices down, but God desires your heart and your mind. To be fully committed, fully following him. And then here's the thing about the Hebrew language. See, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So, in order to really get the full definition here of mercy, you have to go back and look at the Hebrew word. And the Hebrew word for mercy is hesed. Hesed. That's it. Say it with me. Hesed. And if you're really going to speak Hebrew, you got to get like this phlegmy like thing going. So you can practice that at home. Uh, or now, that's great. That sounds awesome. But hesed is the Hebrew word here for mercy. And it's a word that throughout the scriptures is consistently used to describe God's character. It's mentioned something like 250 times throughout the Old Testament. All different places, all different stories littered throughout the Old Testament is this idea of hesed. And this word combines the ideas of love, generosity, mercy, and commitment. See, as we go through these Hebrew words, you'll start to understand that that these Hebrew words in the Old Testament are more of an idea than it is a singular definition. So hesed, also translated as loving kindness. This is what Jesus says, hey, you need to go and learn this. Go learn what this means, quoting the Old Testament prophet, I desire hesed. Not sacrifice. Hesed means, this word for mercy means loving kindness. The Bible Project, uh, they have a great video on this called Loyal Love. The Bible Project, look it up on YouTube. It defines it as a promise-keeping loyalty that is motivated by personal care. 
Some of the places that it's found throughout the Old Testament. Moses proclaims the Lord. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in hesed and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet does not leave the guilty unpunished. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord, our, the Lord your God is God. He is faithful God, keeping his loving kindness, his hesed, to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. A great example of this word hesed is God's covenant with the nation of Israel. God shows up time and time again and he comes to Abraham and he says, this is my plan, Abraham, and I'm going to make a covenant with you, a gr- an agreement, a blood agreement that cannot be broken. And I'm going to be, I'm so serious about this that I'm actually going to make the agreement with myself. See, normally when a covenant is made, the two of you would get together, sign a contract, you'd be binded by law to both keep your ends of that contract. God's covenant with Abraham, with the nation of Israel. God made the covenant with himself. Basically saying, Israel, there is no way you can screw this up. This is loving kindness. In, in Genesis 32.10, I, I love this because it helps us get a little deeper definition of what the word hesed means. It means grace. It means compassion. It means love. It means mercy. It means holding people accountable. It's this rich definition. And Jacob, who, Jacob, if you know anything about Jacob's life, you're like he wasn't a good guy. But God still used him and still blessed him. And there's this verse that I love, Genesis 32.10. Jacob is in the midst of this desperate prayer, and Jacob says this, I'm not worthy of the hesed love that you've shown me. He's sitting there going, God, my life is a mess. Like, I messed up. There's all these things that I'm doing wrong. I'm not following you. Like, there's, there's all these things, God. I am not worthy of your loving kindness. I am not worthy of the faithfulness you've showed me. I'm not worthy of the mercy you've showed me. And this is the word acid. See, Jacob fails to understand. God's love for Jacob is not based on performance. God isn't faithful to Jacob because he's behaving properly. God isn't faithful to Jacob because he's got his behavior under control and he's changed it. God is faithful to Jacob because that's who God is. It's God's character. This hesed, this loving kindness, this rugged commitment that I am going to love you. 
yeah, you can screw up. You can go sideways. You can be lost for a while. But there is this rugged commitment. And I'm going to call you on your junk. But I'm still going to love you through it all. There is this compassion that meets with grace, that meets with mercy, that meets with accountability, that meets with this faithful, steady presence. What if God's love isn't based on what you do or how you act? Like throughout the Old Testament, we see this nation of Israel that God set up to be a reflection of who he is. So Israel, you're supposed to follow me. As people look at you, they're supposed to see me. Turns out, time and time and time again, Israel is running away from God, putting other idols in front of God, getting distracted, going their own way. And when other people are looking at Israel, they're not seeing God. They're seeing Israel, selfish and stubborn. And so God is sending these prophets to try to bring Israel back to him and try to get them to understand, I love you, I'm faithful to you. And you're going to sin and I'm going to call it out. That doesn't mean my love and my faithfulness leaves you. But for us, for you and I, what if God's love isn't based on what we do or how we behave? Like what if you don't need to get cleaned up before you come to the table? I hear it all the time. I don't know if I can come to church. I just, I I, I haven't been living right, so I don't know if I can come to church. Or I've not come to church in two years, and I feel kind of guilty about that, and and I haven't really done anything in my relationship with God for two years. And I'm sitting here wondering, like, does God still care about me, or do I need to, like, go to jail for a little while to pay for my sins, or, like, no. No. The character of God is this said love. Does that mean that God just accepts everything that you do? No, absolutely not. Does that mean that God's not going to call you out every now and then? Absolutely. He may, other use, he may even use some other people who are following him to do it. But I would argue that Jesus' love, he loves you not because of what you do or who you are. He loves you because of what he did and who he is. And you and I just get to live into that. And I don't know about you, but that's absolutely beautiful. Like this has said, love is the character of God. 
I'm faithful. I'm compassionate. I love you. I'm with you. Even when you walk away, I am with you. Do you and I experience God in this way? This is my first challenge. Do you experience God in this way? I would argue that a lot of us have a lot to grow in here. Because we can't get this out of our head that that if I do this, then you'll love me. If I act this way, then you'll love me. If I clean up my life, then I can come and have dinner with you at the table. If I make it look all nice and pretty, I can have dinner with you at the table. But if I'm struggling with this secret sin back here, if, I, if I've walked away from you for a while, if, then I can't come to the table, and that's absolutely wrong. You don't have to clean up your life before coming to the table. You are transformed by sitting at the table with Jesus, transformed by his Hesed love. Now, here's a question. What does our culture tell us love is? What's love? Like, think about it. As you look on the landscape of our culture, what is love? Well, love usually has to do with like the first month of a relationship when there's like butterflies and you're, you're just infatuated. You're like, oh, it's the best person in the world. This is amazing. Right? Like that's what songs are written about. Majority of the songs on the radio are about that phase of a relationship. You don't hear too many songs about 20 years in. It's like one country song I can think of. My wife and I sing it all the time. There's not many songs that talk about 50 years in, 60 years in. Like, I want that love song. Our culture has some messed up ideas about what love is. And I would argue that most of the definitions of cultural love that we have to work with are cheap and shallow. Culture sells you that that if you aren't feeling it, it means that you must not be in love anymore. If it's not exciting, passionate, sexy, then you've fallen out of love. Is that true? All the married people who've been married for 20 years say, I'm still in love. Doesn't always look like that. Right? Be honest. If it's hard, it must not be love. Love is supposed to be romantic and easy, something that you just kind of fall into. And you got to work at it. It must not be love. Another, some cultural lies that that have to deal with love that that I've seen lately is that if you don't believe what I believe, it means you don't love me, I can't love you, and we can't be in relationship. Right? Have you experienced that? I have. We can't be in relationship because we don't believe the same thing. (laughs) We're in trouble if that's the case. 
Another lie says that if you don't love everything about me, accept everything about me. Love me for who I am, then you can't possibly love me at all. There's all these ways that we try to get to love culturally, and I think they're all off. And they're all cheap, and they're all shallow, and I think it's why we're in a place culturally that I think there's a lot of suffering going on. Because we don't understand this foundational principle of what love is, this true, deep, profound, faithful love. There's two rules, real quick, that I think we should follow. The first rule, don't define love by our Western culture. Did you know that in a dictionary, it says that like, the way you define love is this intense feeling of deep affection, whatever that means. Like, we can't lie. Emotions and feelings are very much a part of what it means to love and be in love. But when you define love by emotions and feelings, that means when those emotions and feelings change, then the love changes. It's cheap. It's fickle. It's not faithful. And then there's another rule, as a Jesus follower. So if you're a Jesus follower in here today, we don't define love based on culture. We define love based on watching God, based on watching Jesus and how Jesus and God interact with the nation of Israel, interact with people, Jesus, as he comes in contact with people. What does love look like? That's how we, as we follow Jesus, define what love is. Because this has said love is this rugged commitment. It's not primarily based on emotions or feelings but it's this idea of a covenant love to another person a covenant commitment this commitment doesn't deny emotions it doesn't deny feelings this commitment reorders the emotions and the feelings this love is strong This love is faithful. This love confronts. This love shows mercy. This love shows compassion. This love walks with. Even when things are hard, even when you don't disagree, even when you don't agree, even when there's something going on in someone else's life that you don't agree with, you still stay with them and love them. That's the love of God. That's how he loves you. And that's how he calls us to love one another. 59 times throughout the New Testament where it says, love one another, bear with one another, bear with one another. There's all these one another statements that give an idea, a picture of what it looks like to love 
someone. It's easy to say, yeah, love your neighbor. But it's a lot harder to go, no, this is what that means to love my neighbor. There's 59 ways that it describes what it looks like to love my neighbor. It means to forgive. It means to have compassion. It means to have mercy. It means to confront. It means to bear with. So church, I pray in our relationships that we would experience this Hesed love of God. And that as we experience it, our lives would be transformed in such a way that then we carry that out to other people. See, Jesus just wasn't the telling, Jesus wasn't just telling the Pharisees to be nice. Oh, don't, don't be mean to Matthew. He didn't choose tax collection, he just kind of fell into it. Be nice to him. He wasn't telling the Pharisees, okay, just forget about the fact that Matthew oppresses and takes advantage of tons of people. He wasn't saying that. Just because Jesus was at the table with them doesn't mean that Jesus agreed with the way that Matthew was living. Jesus was saying, you are ignoring your covenant commitment, your agreement. God loves you so much that you pass that on to others. To be a blessing. And so that when they experience the way that you love them, they're really experiencing the way that God loves them. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray. I pray that we would wrestle with this message, wrestle with this word. Because Hesed love isn't cheap love. I pray that as we think about the way that you love us, that our lives would be changed. You don't love us because we're living right. You don't love us because we got our act together. You don't love us because we're following all the rules. No, you love us because it's who you are. It's your character in your heart. pray that we experience that love. And then as we're transformed, we can share that love with others. In your name we pray.